One Team Professionals is proud to present the Pros on Demand practice session. Available anywhere, anytime, every time. Your host for today's practice session is Coach Kennedy. All right. Hello, everyone. Good afternoon. And we certainly welcome everybody here to this practice session of Pros on Demand. And again, we're joined by Coach Brian Windler and special guest John O'Neill today. We're going to dive into some mergers and acquisitions uh, information. And uh, these guys are the ones that shed the light on all the experience and the expertise that, that we're bringing today. So uh, we're excited to have you guys. Welcome, guys. Appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, what I wanted to do was immediately jump into an aspect of M&A, which sometimes is not the most pleasant area, and that is distress, bankruptcy, turnaround uh, uh, segment of M&A. And I couldn't think of anyone better than having uh, our colleague, John O'Neill, join us today. And John, give, give them a snapshot of your background and who you're with currently, because he's not, you know, NTA Riverbend is, is kind of split up a little bit. And so John's with my daughter in another firm. And so John. Yeah, we're still the remnants of it, but we now call ourselves Stone Tower Capital. Right. And uh, we're basically a Dallas-based firm that's focused on doing what we call uh, difficult um, special situation capital raises. And so that brings us from anywhere to, um, you know, uh, tough deals to get done to deals that are, are distressed and uh, aren't making any money. Right. And you know, there's been a lot of... Uh... You know that you guys are currently running into situations like that. Michael and I and some of us have, have been dealing with a, a potential client where, you know, long ago they were starting to deteriorate, having issues, uh, not only with the financial stability of the company, but with help of, of the owners or at least one of them. Uh, they wanted to start doing something, you know, preparing for exit back then. COVID hit, things deteriorated even more. And now they found, find themselves in a situation where class, cash flow is dropping. Uh, the banking relationship they had for the last 30 years has changed. <laughs> Their old bank got bought out. I mean, it's like a, you know, what, what's your hit list of the worst things that happen, <laughs> you know, you know, and so John, uh, why do people wait that long and what can we do about that? Well, unfortunately, there's just not a, there's not a whole lot you can do. Um, most entrepreneurs are optimistic to begin with. And unfortunately to move from optimism to denial is pretty easy. Um, it, you know, there's always that next uh, contract that's going to save the day or, or somebody's going to pay early or something's going to happen. And unfortunately, um, when you miss payroll and can't pay, pay at that point in time, it's kind of wake up time that maybe there's uh, something more serious going on than just a, a, a temporary uh, break in the business. And John, over the weekend, you sent me an article, and I saw it when I got my uh, publication in the Dallas Business Journal. I had an article, and it, in essence, kind of was, "Hey, the the next shoe's going to drop with companies that are down trimming, negative cash flow. You know, the banks have been forbearing. Now, who knows? Maybe with this next relief bill, the administration might say, "Hey, you can't for you can't foreclose on anybody, do any do anything to anybody for the next year or so." I don't know, John. What do you think is going to happen? Yeah, it's it's unfortunately that's that's basically it. I mean, we're we're talking about you know potential problems in 
general business and energy combined. Obviously, Oklahoma has a strong energy um, uh, business uh, around it. Um, basically, where what it comes down to is most regulated banks, national banks, are regulated by the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, which is the OCC. And for the last probably 10 and a half months, um, that entity has told banks, don't become part of the problem. Um, so basically what that means is if you got a client that, if you have a borrower who can't pay interest in principal, which is kind of a fundamental part of being a borrower, um, the normal uh, step for a bank is to say, well, it's time for you to consider bankruptcy and moving on because we need to, we need to be paid. And instead, for the last 10 months, banks have basically said, it's all right, you don't have to pay us and we'll, we'll figure it out after the fact. So um, there hasn't been that push that normally takes middle market companies and puts them into bankruptcy. And so a lot of companies are just floundering. And, and I, I mean, I've got a client right now who did $100 million of revenue in 2019 um, they did $17 million of revenue in the first quarter of, the, of 2020, and then they've done zero since then. They're losing seven. Now, I imagine, how can that happen? Yeah. I mean, well, it's a trade show yeah. company, and nobody's putting on trade shows. <laughs> and uh, but the end of the, at the end of the day, uh, they're losing $700,000 a month, and uh, they haven't paid the bank in over a year, and they still haven't got you know completely gone under they're still we're still trying to do an out-of-court um solution for them that uh, lets them avoid bankruptcy which that could never have happened in any of the pre previous cycles so so what's made that I, i'm gonna i'm gonna ask you a couple questions what's made that possible obviously you're an investment banker when you show up and appear either or the court that says something yeah, I think there's a couple things. So historically, um, the guys that do restructurings in in uh, the down cycles <clears throat> have been either or CFOs that have worked through um, an employer that went through bankruptcy and decided it was something they liked doing, and they hung a shingle and said, "I'm now a bankruptcy advisor." Um, after the last recession, which ended in 2011, I guess, or late 10, right. um, the entire middle market kind of moved from being a bank lender relationship with a prime-based loan to a asset-based or ABL uh, relationship. And most of those were LIBOR-based loans. And so the move was to get a lower rate and so the majority of the middle market moved over and started borrowing under these new facilities. Well, the problem with an asset-based loan is there's an asset-based formula that says, if you get into trouble, we, the bank, can sell these assets at liquidation value and get our loan paid back. And so over the course of the last 10 years, um, we've had unprecedented economic growth, so we haven't really tested it up till now, but the truth of the matter is, is that the banks aren't interested in restructuring companies. When a company gets into trouble, they wanna hire someone and say, sell it in 90 days and give me my money back. 
And so we, over that last 10 years, we evolved from being a financial advisory firm to being a registered uh, investment bank because we felt like that put us in a better position to help these companies and, and get the bank what they wanted, which was um, repayment of their debt. So, you know, knowing that we don't have a whole lot of time, but if, 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 if the advisors have clients that are getting into trouble or they suspect are gonna be in trouble soon, what are some of the steps they need to take to immediately start preparing an exit strategy? For example, prepare a 13 week cash flow. Sure. Well, I'll go one step further with, with that, but I, I, and I'll, I'll answer your question. But the, the other thing that's worth noting is based on the, the discussion that we've had so far, we're in pretty much unprecedented times in that the banks aren't forcing companies in bankruptcy. And so what we're seeing is an opportunity to restructure your company and still potentially come out owning it, which I can tell you in 40 years of doing this, He's that's really never been guy. the case, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so um, the key is being able to identify it early and then try to try to work with your bank to get them the best deal. Um, be proactive. Yeah, and, and be, be transparent and say, you know, look, I've got a responsibility to pay you back. I got a responsibility to pay my uh, employees. I got a, a responsibility to deliver product to my customers. I got a responsibility to pay my vendors and I'm trying to manage all of that. But with in, in mind that you, the bank, have the ability to pull the plug and, and ruin everything. So I'm going to try to do whatever I can to create as much value to um, get you paid back, you know, the uh, value you deserve. And, and that is, I think that's the interesting thing is that banks are right now, when a bank uh, foregoes on collecting principal and interest, they, they pretty much have to write down a loan um, to anywhere from 75 to 100%. And so now you've got a bank who has already pushed through their PL a loss on that relationship. And, and as much as you want to think banks are economic creatures, um, if you've written something off 100% and someone offers you 10 cents on the dollar to buy it, that's 10 cents improvement in your PL the next quarter. And so you see some really strange potential transactions because they've already taken the loss and any anything in is a positive. Maybe it's worth 90 cents, but if someone offers them 25, a lot of times they'll take it just because they they are motivated to clean up their balance sheet and get the problem loans off, off the balance sheet regardless of how they're man managing. And, and John, does it ever make sense? I know there's a lot of owners out there that must be just really frustrated. Is it ever gonna make sense to just shut the doors and uh, say to heck with it and maybe just liquidate. I mean, yeah, what, what, yes. what we have found on the M&A side is that I always told the brokers I've trained and I've trained over 5,000 of them, never, never, never just close the doors and sell. And, right. and, and just you know close the doors and liquidate. I mean, you've got customer relationships, you've got marketing, you may have technology, you've got your tangible oh, sure, assets. Absolutely. And plus the owner has a lot of intellectual property up there where they can help facilitate a transfer well, that's a, that's a good uh, point. There's a uh, company down in Houston that was in the uh, uh, basically chemical business, and they had a plant. 
uh, on the waterway, and uh, they were losing money hand over fist and couldn't couldn't do anything right. And they, the owner just finally shut the place down and said, "I'm tired of losing money." And he was looking to just liquidate the assets and move on. And all of a sudden, someone came in and said, "Your plant is ISO 9000 qualified." I need one of those. There you, there you go. And all of a sudden, what was a zero? He ended up getting $13 million of value out of because there was somebody that was making something that people wanted that needed a manufacturing facility similar to what he had. So barring fraud, barring problems with the IRS, um, we always try to, you know, distress is really an option game. And if you understand options, as long as it's kind of the old dumb and dumber routine of there's still a chance. And as long as there's time left on an option, there's value to it, no matter how far uh, out of the money that option is. And the same goes with any kind of distress situ situation. You can buy more time. Um, there might be someone waiting in the wings that wants to pay more than you ever imagined. And uh, it doesn't always happen, but it can Hey, John, let me jump in here real quick, too, sure. uh, if I might, to explain that term again that you just used, ISO, what was that? Oh, it's a, it's a uh, ISO 9000. It's just a uh, international uh, accreditation for how you run a process through a plant. Um, a lot of government agencies won't work with uh, firms unless they have that um, certification on their business. And it's you got to certify that you have an operating manual that safety explains protocols. how to do it and safety protocols and, and you know, that you don't let the equipment get out of uh, alignment or, or calibration or all of that. So it's, it's, uh, it's not something that's really hard, but it takes like two years to certify a plant. And so if someone's already certified, it turns out that's valuable to someone who's trying to jumpstart putting a plant in place. Interesting. I know up here in the oil and gas uh, industry specifically, there's a lot of com compliance issues that they have to be aware of. Uh, uh, is net uh, is, is a term we hear as far as being in compliance in that particular industry and um, uh, safety programs, all those things have to be written documents, especially uh, in some of these guys that are working with some of our big oil and gas uh, midstream, you know, partners, the, the Magellans, the Plains, the, sure. you know, Enbridge, all those guys like that. So maybe that's something that just kind of hit me there. Maybe that's something that, that can be in play or might be easily overlooked if we don't know about, about that. Another, another thing that falls into that category is, you know, unfortunately due to the, um, uh, immigration policy of our last administration, we lost a lot of really talented welders to deportation. And so if a company has good welders and good welding capability, it's, it's kind of an art that you don't just pick up immediately. Um, we, we saw a company that really didn't have any, any value per se in what it was making or, or um, you know, what its products were being used for, but it turned out that they had 
probably one of the most talented welding teams in North Texas. And um, there was strong interest to just um, buy the business in order to get access to the employee base that, that were these welders. Hey, and John, let's maybe get into the process a little bit. For example, if, if you're engaged by a business owner that's in this situation, and you're not going to do it without being engaged, you're going to get a, a sole exclusive, get engaged. Well, that process doesn't mean that you just take the financials and put them on a right. training lender's desk and say, will you do this? Or contact buyers, just throw the contact right. Explain a little bit about the process. So there's, yeah, there's a couple things there, and I never did answer your first question, so I'll try to answer that with this also. Basically, if companies looks like they're heading towards distress and they don't want to admit it, but they want to try to prepare to, you know, avoid it. One of the things you can do is create what we call a 13 week cash flow. And it's as simple as it's a spreadsheet that the top of the spreadsheet documents all of the inflows to the company, uh, collection of receivables, rebates, um, anything that's a positive, number that goes into the bank account selling of scrap right anything absolutely cash and then the bottom of the spreadsheet is all the payments out so you've got your payroll that's up there every two weeks you've got your insurance payments that may come quarterly or semi-annually you've got uh you know to pay the guy to mow the lawn at the uh, you know at the warehouse you've got security you've got all of these things that you don't even think about you got you know, the printers and the, the computer supplies and stuff like that. And if you do a good job and kind of document those, you know, use your uh, monthly P&L as a um, start for understanding that, but then basically go on a week by week basis. I know I started with this much money in my bank account. This much money came in, this much money got paid out. And this is much how much money was left over to fund the next week. And by running a business, by doing that, you start to make much smarter decisions because, you know, sometimes it's like, I'm going to pay you, but not until next week, because I don't have the money this week. And sometimes it's, I'm going to pay now because I do have the money, even though it's not due till next week, so that I don't spend it on something else. And then I don't have it next week. So if a company can on its own, I mean, everyone's, everyone has financial people that are reasonably capable of managing a spreadsheet and this has no special function to it. It's plus this and minus cash that. In, cash yeah. Out. yeah. And anyone can do it. And so if you can start running your business on that ahead of time before a professional comes in, it makes it much easier for the professional to talk to the creditors and explain you know, what we're going to try to do to, to come up with a fair solution for everyone. The second um, part of that is, is obviously we don't do what we do for free. And so when company, what we end up seeing a lot of times is companies run out of money and then they say, I need help. And it's like, okay, so you can't pay your bank and you can't pay your vendors. So how are you going to pay me? Are you going to work for free? Well, the interesting thing is bankruptcy laws are set up that there's a requirement that um, when a company goes into bankruptcy, none of its advisors um, can can be creditors. You have to be um, yeah, independent. totally independent. So if, if you're owed money 
when a company files for bankruptcy, you can no longer be their advisor and they have to go find another advisor. This, this works for attorneys and accountants and um, financial advisors also. So what we typically try to do is give companies to pay us in advance so we're never a creditor mm -hmm. during the pre-bankruptcy period. Obviously, once they're in bankruptcy, the judge makes sure you get paid so it's, it's not that much of a, an issue anymore. But um, we find people, you know, are kind of like, sure, I'll sign up and agree to your terms. And then the first invoice goes out and they're like, well, I told you I don't have any money. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why you charge up front. Yeah, well, there's a lot that we can dig into this, and you've given us some really basic, good idea about the process and the relationships that really need to be established. I think, and also we'll, we'll probably talk a little bit more about the, the 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 banking side of that. I think in that relationship that you you briefly touched on, you know, we can dig into that a little bit more next time. I, I know what. Uh, one of our friends, uh, Peter Gonzalez, is also on the call here today, and he's hey, an investment Peter, maker. And, hey, John. Uh, he hey. may be one that uh, that we have in our next practice session to kind of dig into this as well a little bit. Uh, we're going to have to wrap this practice session up. The, the guys that are on here, though, we want to uh, encourage you to stay just a little bit longer here with us so we can have uh, continue a little bit more discussion and answer any other questions and stuff that, that they may have as well. But for this particular practice session, uh, we're going to wrap this up here. If you're listening or watching this recorded practice session on Pros on Demand or highlights are available anywhere, anytime, every time for all of our One Team members at oneteam.pro. And you can also email coach at oneteam.pro. Pros on Demand practice sessions scheduled our Monday through Thursdays at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time where we feature one of our professional coaches. So today we thank uh, John O'Neill and Coach Brian Windler for sharing some great insight uh, regarding this mergers and acquisitions process, something that we don't typically deal with every day, but I think in these unprecedented times, we're going to see more and more of this. So this is going to be something that we really need to be aware of and know how to engage in so that we can connect with our one team professionals. With that, we're going to wrap this practice session up of Pros On Demand. And again, we encourage everybody else to stay on here for additional questions and discussions. And thank you for watching this edition of Pros On Demand. Thank you for tuning in to this edition of Pros On Demand by One Team Professionals. If you'd like to learn more about our One Team Professional Coaches and our upcoming Pros On Demand practice sessions, visit the website oneteam.pro or call the number 918-873-0705. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. And remember, we are one team professionals.